What I'm going to do is I'm going to lead off with an article out of the Jewish Encyclopedia where they give an overview and synopsis of Ezekiel and they do a more cogent job than I could. So I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs out of their article. You can look it up at jewishencyclopedia.com and it's under Ezekiel, comma, Book of by Emil Hirsch and Carl Cornell. Ezekiel's book is one of the most original and sacred literature of Israel. Its principal features are its systematic arrangement and homogeneity. The book falls into two principal parts, 1 through 24 and 25 through 48, corresponding to the two principal themes of Ezekiel's prophetic preaching, repentance and salvation, judgment and restoration. It is introduced by a vision, which is 1, 1 through 315 at the river Hebar. The glory of the Lord appears to Ezekiel on a chariot of the cherubim and consecrates him a prophet sent to a rebellious house to preach only wailing, sighing, and misery. Ezekiel is a priest and he was taken into captivity before the destruction of the temple. So let's dive in. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, and here we don't know the 30th year from what. In some cases he'll tell us, he doesn't tell us here. As I was among the exiles by the Hebar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the Hebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. So what he's doing is he's giving his genealogy, saying he was a priest, or he's the son of a priest, which means he's a Kohen. He's in the land of the Chaldeans, which is Babylon, by some canal there, and I don't know where that is. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. Heaven is north. So it's again significant that this thing is coming to him out of the north. So you can take from that that it's coming from heaven. Verse 5, And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures, and this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had a face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, the four had the face of an eagle, and parenthetically, behind. So the front is human, the back is an eagle, the left is an ox, and the right is a lion. We've done this before, but it's worth doing again. If you hold your place here and fast forward to Ezekiel 10, you see a description of the same thing. And if you read that, it's starting in 1014, each one had four faces. The first face was the face of a cherub, the second face the face of a man, the third face the face of a lion, and the fourth face the face of an eagle. Now if you compare those four faces to the four faces that are listed in Ezekiel 1, you'll see a striking difference. 
the cherub and the ox. So in Ezekiel 1, the face is the face of an ox. The corresponding face in Ezekiel 10 is the face of a cherub. One can infer from this that the face of a cherub looks like the face of an ox, assuming he's looking at the same thing. Well, where does that take you? It takes you to the Ark of the Covenant. Where else does it take you? To the golden calf. One of the things that we've said about the golden calf is nobody had any doubt who Yehovah was. The problem was not Yehovah, the problem was Moses, who was missing. Remember, Moses went up onto the mountain, and they expected him back in 40 days, and he was late. So they panicked, and they said, we no longer have our guide. We're going to make one for ourselves. And what they do is they cast a golden calf. Aaron himself, who casts the golden calf, says, here are your Elohim, Tomorrow we will have a sacrifice to Yehovah. So Aaron is not looking at this thing that they have cast as being a god itself. It is simply a conduit by which they can connect with God because the one who came with them, Moses, is not available. Now God disapproved of this severely. And God came in in the form of Moses and straightened them out. But what I'm suggesting to you is that this vision of a calf is something that goes with the description of the cherub that you have here. This is not scripture, this is genealogy. So you may do with that whatever you want. All I'm doing is drawing connections for you. The four beasts, and I don't like to use beast because that has a connotation in Revelation that's negative. The, the four living things is what I think they're called in Revelation, which are around the throne of God. One has the face of a lion, one has the face of an ox, one has the face of a man, one has the face of an eagle. And they surround the throne of God. So what Ezekiel is seeing here is, if you will, he's looking into the throne room. And if you look at these four creatures, they flow throughout Scripture. We see them in the camps of the Israelites. And if you look at the banners of the four major tribes that are camping around the ark, you have the lion of the tribe of Judah, you have the man of Reuben, the ox of Ephraim, and the eagle of Dan. If you lay out the camp of Israel in the desert with the four banners, and you assume Ezekiel is facing north, as he says he is because this thing is coming from the north, you would see the orientation of the four faces is exactly the same as the orientation of Israel camping in the desert. This would lead you to believe that the camp of Israel with the Mishkan in the center was God's throne room on earth because he has the furniture arranged in precisely the same way. If you look at the Gospels, you've got Matthew, which presents Yeshua as a Jew, Lion of the tribe of Judah. You have Mark, which presents him as a suffering servant, the ox. You have Luke, which presents him as a man, his humanity. And you have John, which presents him as God himself, which is the eagle, divinity. So these four creatures flow throughout all of Scripture. This is my own bunny trail. And again, you may do with this whatever you want. But if you'll notice that the pagan gods, for example, of Egypt, are very often representations of men's bodies with heads on them of various beasts, I will suggest to you that somebody saw those. 
And just as Ezekiel here is seeing these creatures, and just as human beings have seen cherubim, okay, we know that Adam and Eve saw cherubim when they were driven out of the garden. So what I am suggesting to you, and you may do this whatever you want, you don't have to buy it or anything like that, but these gods that the Egyptians made and worshipped were in fact things that people had seen at some point. In other words, this is not some drunk Egyptian hallucinating and just making this stuff up. I'm suggesting that at some point somebody has seen them and has made representations of them. And again, you don't have to buy that if you don't want to. That is not scriptural. I'm simply now extrapolating from what we do see in scripture. But it's interesting because God is very, very adamant that you do not worship these creatures. And remember that Satan himself was what? He's a cherub. And Satan's problem is that he wants the worship and the glory that is due to God. And one of the things that God says very adamantly is you don't do that. And we see in Revelation where John is met by one of these angelic beings. And John goes down like a sack of rocks and starts worshiping him. And this guy picks him up by the stacking soul and says, no, 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 no. Make sure you don't do Don't worship me. I'm a created being just like you are. So the cherubim who are still on God's team, if you were, understand the rules perfectly. And we've got some other ones that don't understand the rules quite so well. And I'm suggesting to you that things like the gods of Egypt come from that second crew. Another name for these beings, if our speculation is true, is demons. And that would explain these images that you see in lots of pagan worship where you have demons that have revealed themselves to people for typically purposes of gaining worship or gaining power. The third thing I want to talk about is perspective. We have three different people who get a vision of this heavenly throne room. Ezekiel, John, and Isaiah. Each one of them describes basically the same thing from a different perspective. So, if you're standing on top of a tall building and you're looking down, your perspective is one thing. If you're down in the basement, in the subway, looking up at the thing, your perspective is different. You're looking at the same thing, but you will see different details and you will notice different things. If you're standing on a level with it and looking straight on, you will see yet different things. You know, you can't see what's going on in the basement, and you can't see what's going on from above, but now you can see things horizontally. And each one of these three visions of heaven, I am asserting, are visions of the same thing from three different perspectives. So Ezekiel is looking up at this thing. Isaiah is looking down. John is the one that's looking horizontally. But they're all describing the same thing. So for example, Ezekiel doesn't see the seraphim. Remember the seraphim are the guys with six wings that constantly orbit around the throne? Ezekiel can't see those guys, so he doesn't report them. He's big on you know, the basement, he's, he's looking at the supports, the cherubim and the wheels and, and all that kind of stuff, and so that's what he reports. The other thing to understand, and, and I'll try and explain this, I've tried before with mixed success, what you have is a two-dimensional sheet of paper here, and I am asserting that the throne room of heaven is multi-dimensional, certainly more than two. And in fact, it may be eternal, which is outside of time. 
So what happens is each one of these guys pops his head into that place and gets a look. And what he's got to then do is translate that look onto a two-dimensional sheet of paper from his perspective. So you get things like intersecting wheels, which is one of the things Ezekiel is going to say. So what you've got are these guys are trying to describe something that is, I'm suggesting, eternal. They get one glimpse of it for a very short period of time, and they're looking at it from a certain perspective, and they come back and they're writing like mad, trying to explain what they've seen. And what I'm suggesting to you, it's no wonder it's confusing, because you've got something that is eternal that they're trying to capture on a piece of paper, and they've only gotten a glimpse of it from one perspective. So trying to capture this in a way that somebody could then sit down and draw a blueprint ain't going to happen. So moving on. 11. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. The only thing that I can think of in the natural that approximates my mental image here is you ever seen a flock of blackbirds flying along, and the whole flock all of a sudden turns 90 degrees? It looks like they're all following the same spirit, you know, like they all got the right turn now message simultaneously. That's the image that comes into my mind when I'm reading this. Doesn't mean it's right, okay? That's just the image that comes into my mind. That's how I would describe what Ezekiel is saying in terms of things that are familiar to me. Everybody hear how I said that? So if you've captured a different mental image, God bless you, because there's nothing canonical about my mental image. It's just the one that happens to come to me. So we're at verse 15. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl, beryl being a gemstone. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went, and their rims were tall and awesome and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, these went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them. For the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. 22. Over the heads of the living creatures was the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal, spread out over their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult like the sound of an army when they stood still. They let down their wings, and 
there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. Another translation of that is their wings drooped. Now, the only thing I want to mention here is this expanse of awe-inspiring crystal over their head. Does that sound like a sea of glass to you? That's what John sees when he goes horizontally. And that, by the way, in the Mishkan is the bronze laver. If you take the Mishkan as being God's throne on earth and he has furnished it as near to like his heavenly throne as is possible in material, you've got to have this sea of glass in front of you. And I'm suggesting that is the bronze laver. 26. And the expanse over their heads was like the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. So what I'm suggesting is he's looking up. He's looking up through the sea of glass and it's like those of us who have done scuba gut diving have done it all the time. You lay on the bottom of the pool and you look up. That's what I'm suggesting he's showing us is he's looking up through this crystal sea if you will and he is seeing the throne above it. And above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. So what I'm suggesting is he is seeing the Ancient of Days, if you will, sitting on a throne. And he's seeing him through this refracted sea of glass. So when he says the likeness of, I'm suggesting that it's slightly distorted as it would be if you were looking up through water. Because you get a, a much more definite description when John does the same thing. 27. And upward from what was the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, and like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw what were the appearance of fire, and there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on a day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. All right, now what I want to do is I want to take you to Revelation 1. And I want to pick it up at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. What did Ezekiel say about above the waist? A metallic band, didn't he? His head and feet were white like wool and white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. What was up around his head? His feet were like fine brass refined in a furnace. Now look at Ezekiel's description of his feet. Everybody see what I'm talking about? And his voice was the sound of many waters. And I will suggest that if you read, starting in verse 26 in Ezekiel, and above the expanse over the heads there was the likeness of a throne and appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was the likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. So he's looking up through this crystal thing, and he sees the girdle, a golden band around his chest. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him. And it, what, how does John describe his feet? Shod with fine brass, refined in the fire. So what I am suggesting to you 
is Ezekiel is seeing the same thing John saw, except he's looking up through this sheet of crystal. Well, I mean, you know, whatever it is, it's described elsewhere in Scripture as a sea of glass. Here he describes it as crystalline. But I'm suggesting that he's seeing the same thing that John is looking at straight on. And of course, they both have the same reaction. They go down like a sack of bricks. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet. Notice he didn't get up by himself. Similarly, Yeshua has got in Revelation to pick John up by the scruff of the neck and sort of shake him so all his bones come straight and plop him down on his feet. Chapter 2. And he said to me, Son of man, stand on your feet, and I will speak with you. And as he spoke to me, the Spirit entered into me and set me on my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. And he said to me, Son of man, I send you to the people of Israel, to nations of rebels who have rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me every day. The descendants who are impudent and stubborn, I send you to them. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been sent among them. And you, son of man, be not afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words. Though briars and thorns are with you, and you sit on scorpions, be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed by their looks, for they are a rebellious house. And you shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or refuse to hear, for they are a rebellious house. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And then I looked, behold, a hand was stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. And he spread it before me, and it had writing on the front and on the back. And there were written on it words of lamentation and mourning and woe. Chapter 2, very short chapter, a bunch of stuff in here. Ezekiel is a prophet. Ezekiel is also an apostle. And we've talked about this in the context of Galatians. What is an apostle? One who is sent. The Greek apostolos is a translation of the Hebrew shaliach, which means sent one. And God says to him, I am sending you. So he is a sent one. And what is he sent to do? Speak to the rebellious, and eventually what he's going to do is to speak to those who are righteous. Because what's happened is the rebellious house of Israel has fallen in with the world. Remember one of the things that I said when we were talking in Galatians is part of the thing of a prophet is to go into the world system and contend with the world system for the children of God. So Moses went into the world system and Pharaoh claimed to be a god and Moses went head to head with him and at the end of the day Moses came out with the children of God. Paul did the same thing. Caesar claimed to be a god. Paul went up against the imperial cult with the intention of saving, if you will, the children of God, whether they be Jew or Gentile, out of the world system. That was his mission. And I'm suggesting to you that's part of what Ezekiel is doing also. Because he's going to go confront these folks directly 
And one of the things that is going to be heavily involved later on is the worthlessness of the shepherds of Israel. So he's going to wind up speaking, if you will, directly to the sheep and bypassing the shepherds. And he's going to take a stripe off the shepherds as we go on. The other thing that needs to be made note of here is God is giving him the call to repentance. As you read chapter 2, God is not especially sanguine that these people are going to repent when the prophet tells them to. But God is going to formally say, repent, because he has to before he destroys them. It's only after he has sent a prophet to them and says, you guys are, are messing up big time, you need to repent. And when they don't, that's the point where the hammer falls. And understand, all of Israel is in captivity. Part of Judah is already in captivity. So this prophecy is being spoken from exile. If anything should get their attention, you would think that would. God has sent them into exile. Jeremiah has told them why they're going. Ezekiel is saying, guys, straighten up. It's sort of like you're falling from the top of a cliff and an angel flutters up beside you and says, are you ready to repent yet? No, no, I want to go all the way to the bottom. That's basically what's going on here. And the children of Israel just look at this angel and say, no, no, that's okay. We're going to go all the way to the bottom. And they do. You know, we get really, really smug when we read these things in Scripture. And none of us can imagine falling from a cliff and having an angel's, you're willing, you're willing to repent? If you're willing to repent, no, no, that's okay. I'll, I'll just go on. None of us can imagine doing that. Yet that's exactly what they do. And what I'm saying is they are no different than we are. And when you get caught up in wrong behavior and you get caught up in your sin, you get tunnel vision. And somebody speaking to you, speaking the words of God, saying, repent, stop that, otherwise you're going to be destroyed, doesn't make an impression on you. It just makes you mad. And that's what's going to happen with the house of Israel. They're not going to listen to him. God knows they're not going to listen to him, but God's got to do it. And by the way, he tells Ezekiel, they ain't going to be happy to see you. So don't be afraid of them. Don't flinch. Tell them what I told you to tell them. And just accept the fact that they're going to be honked. Because when Satan gets confronted, one of his tactics is anger. And he comes right back and you, how dare you say that to me? Very old tactic. And that's what's going to happen to Ezekiel.